Hello and welcome along to another edition of the Irish F1 show, once again in association with PFT Travel. We are back after a little bit of a sabbatical over the past few weeks. Uh, Barry Rabbit, Richard Carney, welcome along. I think it's fair to say, after uh, that bit of a sabbatical, it could have extended another month or two previously, because I don't mean to start off on a negative note, guys, but it's a quite underwhelming season, isn't it? Yeah, there's um, there's not a, a not a whole lot going on at the front anyway. That's for sure. It's um, a bit of a Red Bull whitewash. I'm not mixing the colours and metaphors there a little bit, but yeah, it's it's just um, yeah. There's like I seen something the other day. Uh, for stopping fastest at FP1, FP2, FP3 qualifying, won the race from pole with fastest lap. I mean, kind of tells you all you need to know, doesn't it? Mm, Twenty four seconds, I think, Richard. Yeah, yeah. Um... A bit overwhelming in fairness. Like, listen, I know we're, we're giving out about the Formula One and it's a really hard watch at the moment, but you can't really you can't really knock Red Bull for the work they've done and, no. and, and the machinery that they've put out there. That that's that's you know a fair play to them. They're they're a step ahead of everyone else. But I really thought the likes of Mercedes and Ferrari especially would have would have been a good bit closer this year, you know, considering you know, they had time to develop their cars and things, but there's no one getting near that Red Bull at the moment, anyway. No, Barry, we said from this you were chatting there off air, right? So, bearing in mind the period of dominance that Mercedes would have had, we'll say, for the goods of it, we won't say it all the decade, but the goods of a decade, anyway. They always had a pretty good car. And in any of those seasons, did you ever think that the Mercedes was as dominant as, uh, as Max and Red Bull have been this year thus far? Yeah, it's a tough one. Um... I think I think the stats would say, like in terms of just percentages off the pace that everyone else is, that there's probably not much in it. Um, it probably going back not to the the last couple of years of the Mercedes dominance, but if you go back to your kind of 14, uh, 15, 16, 17, um, that they, they probably were as dominant then as as Red Bull are now. But of course, Red Bull caught up with them, so our memories our memories kind of go back to, you know. 19 and 20 maybe whereas they really should be going back to 15 and 16 and that's how of here so they probably are or were um similarly dominant at that time um but i don't know from an entertainment point of view was there still the entertainment further down it's hard to remember you know it's, not, it's rose tinted spectacles i play too as well we all think back and we, we pick out the highlights of it so it's not that we haven't seen it before. I mean, F1 has always had this. It's it's not the most dominant car that there's ever been. I mean, that that there's a few other contenders for that going back to McLarens in the late 80s, early 90s that were, you know, second and a half up the road from second row and winning races by laps at a time. So, um, but yeah, it, it, I, I think it's a combination of things at the moment. Um, you, you, have, you have perfect reliability almost. Um, so that's, you know, again, I think there's a third race in a row that there was no retirements. So if you go back to previous years, even even the Mercedes years that we just spoke about, there was still retirement possibilities there to keep you kind of maybe hoping is the wrong word, but just keep something interesting maybe about to happen. Whereas now we have dominance with 100% near enough reliability. So the chances of something happening unusual are quite rare and really only comes down to the weather, which we've seen in Monaco. Mm, yeah. So, Richard, you made a point there as well that... Even though there might have been a time, well, there definitely was a time, of course, when there was dominant Mercedes, and even go back years beforehand, you mentioned McLarens and different things like that, that you feel maybe that guys were able to get 
a little bit more out of the cars that were probably inferior to that in comparison to what the guys are doing now. Is that basically the, the gist of what you're thinking? Yeah, I think so. We were just saying earlier, like when you go back to the days of the Schumacher dominance, like, can you really call it Schumacher dominance? Like when you think of the calibre of driver he went up again, you know, your Mika Hakkinen's, your Coulthard's, your Alonso's, your Ralph Schumacher's, Montoya's, you know, that's put to name a few, like, um, and Schumacher managed to be, I won't say ultra dominant in, in those days, but it was certainly, for a Ferrari and Schumacher that won seven titles, it was certainly a much better watch. But not always, now don't get me wrong, not always. Schumacher, some of the races, and he headed off into the distance, but, but 80% of the races were always a good watch. You know, you had Alonso putting it up to him, you had Montoya. Like, there were, there were, there were good watches, whereas nowadays, I just think, the, the level of driver Max is competing against is they're light years away from Max's level. You know, and, and don't get me wrong, when you get to that, you're in the top elite 20 drivers in the world when you get to Formula 1. But I just feel from, well, I won't say from Max back. Listen, Hamilton is a super driver in the right machinery and, you know, Juan Leclerc is a super driver. Now, maybe it's just their inferior cars that that's really highlighting the fact is Max that good, or is is it just his car is that good? Maybe it's a combination of both. Mm. Well, I'd have to go back and check stats on this now as well, but has a team won all seven races, the first seven races of the year before? Has that happened, yeah? Uh, I don't know if it's the first, I'm sure it was. I think you go back, I think the McLaren MP44, I can't just think of the year, it would be in the early 90s, I think. Um it was the most dominant car ever, really. It won 15 out of 16 races that year. Um, right. And it would have won the 16th. There was I can't remember, but there was some unusual factor got taken out while leading or something like that. But it would have, it, it, you know, so that that's that precedent's been set um, with the McLaren back in. That would mean the one of the Marlboro McLarens, as I said, I think it, for some reason I'm thinking 89, but I might be wrong on that. But in or around then, or 88 maybe. Anyways, it, it was... Um, it would have done that. I think the record for consistent win or, or a string of wins um, is 11. I know that okay. might span two seasons. That might be the end of one and the start of the other. Um, and Red Bull now are on seven. Um, so that's very much up for grabs. But I think it's probably a little bit of a load of things uh, as opposed to just, you know, like don't forget, as I said, there's the reliability, which we mentioned a minute ago. Um, the other thing, you have obviously more races, less testing. Um, and then on top of that, you have... Like the cars can't, to, to Richard's point, you go back a few years, you could probably hustle a car a little bit more than you can nowadays. I get the feeling that the drivers are kind of driving up to a up to a limit. There's like a glass ceiling of how fast they can drive the cars. Maybe not in qualifying, actually definitely not in qualifying, but in in, in race things, I think it's just a, a managing exercise and there's no real scope there for a guy to grab it by the scruff of the neck you know, and do four four qualifying sessions into the race with fuel stops or um, tire stops and stuff. So I think you have what you have and you can't really do a whole lot beyond it um, other than maybe just be very switched on for strategy, which is where maybe Alonso and the likes comes in. But And the cars are harder to overtake as well. So I think it's a whole load of, of little things that probably combine to make it, make it look like it's a more dominant season than we've ever had before. But in reality, it probably isn't. Mm. Just, just, touching on, just touching on Barry's point there and actually 
like a very valid point. When you think about every every F1 race nowadays, right? So that the, the five lights go out and away they go. So Max is on pole. Let's say like, like yesterday, for instance, Carlos Sainz got away in, in, in second, I think. And after about a lap and a half or two laps of so my reckoning is you have the first two laps of the Grand Prix. If you can overtake Max and get in the lead, the strategy changes. Whereas yesterday, once Max started to pull, like only half a sec, half a, half a second of a gap on, I think it was Carlos, the whole thing just stopped and everybody went into to tire mind and tire management and yeah. seeing it out. And like the element of racing is, it's, you know, like, was it, 2020 or 21 when Max was starting to come back at Lewis in one of the races and he gets away and he's staying with Lewis and the team are roaring at him about team management and Max fires back with like your Lewis. team your entire management I'll never get this close to him again and go on with him and that's it yeah I think that's a, I think that's a really valid point Richie because you know they're all kind of just I always sometimes I get the feeling with an F1 race it's like the teams and I, I know they all have their their methodology and the strategy to do the fastest race possible and it's almost like the the, the other cars on the grid and the other and the, the racing gets in the way of that perfect strategy so I just sometimes think for you know with the Isle of Man TT on at the moment which is a time trial by the name as the name suggests I think that actually will be a tourist trophy but anyway it is a time trial where they all go at 10 second intervals and they're not actually wheel to wheel racing although it does happen as one catches the other and they're all kind of racing concurrently but not against each other in real time and i sometimes feel that that's the way f1 is is that they're all okay the only difference is they're all let go at the same time but they're all they could almost all be on their own circuit somewhere you know if it was yeah. a computer game they'd be all on their own version of the circuit and the only ghost images of the other cars that they kind of just mm. drive through or whatever and i think that's the unfortunately I can see why it's gone that way because you mentioned like Red Bull getting up to the Mercedes a while ago or Max in particular. If I mean to take it to club level racing that we would do, I I, I would have raced against cars that were faster than mine, and Richie's done the same over the years. And the the, the ethos was get to the front and hold them behind you. Even if you're quick, even if they're quicker than you, you can keep them behind you. You can out out race them, hold them yeah. up, defend for the just now. Obviously, a 15 minute race and an hour and a half Grand Prix is different. But there's absolutely no opportunity anymore to hold someone behind you in F1, especially a Red Bull, because they're just DRS by you on the third lap, anyways. So it removes, so it removes that kind of, you know, the appetite for getting ahead of someone and just defending and keeping them behind you for the whole race, which we've seen years ago. Alonso lost the title because of it. I think it was Maldonado held him up for the whole race. Oh, or, yeah. No, it wasn't. It was the other, it was a Russian chap. Um, in a Renault, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. The Russian driver, I can't just think of his name. There was a Petrov or something like that. Held him behind him for the entire race and he lost the championship. Like, okay, people say, oh, sure, there was no overtaking. You don't need overtaking. You need racing. Racing and overtaking is two different things. You see someone coming down the pits, open the DRS, pit straight, open the DRS, pull out, indicate out, indicate back in, and still break where they normally would. That's, that's an overtake, but it's not racing. I'd sooner see someone climb all over the back of them for 20 laps and not find a way by. That's racing. You know, mm -hmm. the, the overtake isn't... It's like in football, you know, if somebody just walks up and just kicks kicking the ball into an empty goal. So, oh, it was a great match. It was 45-38 or something. You know, an in-all draw could be more interesting than that, like, from what I understand. I don't understand a lot of football. But you know what I mean? It's, it's just, There's more to it than just the end goal of overtaking. And I think the moment mm -hmm. now, you've seen it yesterday, Science had a little bit of a half-hearted attempt at first corner. But even if he'd have got by him, 
Max has gone by him on the third lap, and everyone knew that. Mm. You know, pu- pull the DRS away from it and everything else, and maybe, especially yeah. in somewhere like Barcelona, he might have held him up for maybe not the entire race, but he'd have to go with it or push him behind him. And if he's like, keeping behind him, he might fuck up and, you know, lock a wheel and go off into the gravel somewhere. All these potential jeopardies are gone because they're just DRS by. The guy won't get ahead of you anyways. And even if he does lock up and make a mistake, he'll just run wide on the tarmac and come back on again. So it, it's, it seems to be his death by a thousand cuts to the whole racing thing. There's a, a load of little areas that's kind of meant that just, no, just don't bother racing. Just do the fastest race you can and try and keep out with the other guys. And then at the end of an hour and a half, we'll see who actually completed the 78 or 66 laps as it was yesterday. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's creeped up on us, I think, as opposed to one particular thing. Hmm. Couple of things there, Richie, to bring in on. Um, the DRS, I suppose, to look at in simple terms, it's a bit of an underachievement if if you're not actually passing out someone with the DRS. I mean, like the, you literally have everything in your favour. There's something wrong if you're not doing it right. And then you know you're talking about like we'll say tire management and team management and all this kind of caper and stuff. Is there now uh, with the amount of races there? Is there an increased level of discretion? rather than actually going for it because of the other race. They're like, okay, well, this is a long season. It's it's the longest we've ever had. And we'll just keep it safe here because we need to play long game. So has that, like we mentioned before, we all think it's diluted the whole thing by having so many races. But I'm not quite sure if we did reduce the calendar anyway, would we see that little bit more exciting in addition to taking out of the RS? I think, is that simply the two answers to bring back a bit of excitement to it? Or is it just a case of, well... You know what? The other teams need to start building better cars as well. Is it all of it? Yeah, it's probably probably an element of everything you spoke about. But I don't think that the, the extra long calendar. I don't think is is a major issue. I mean, it's it's another couple of races in the season, and I I take your point that okay, listen, we'll just sit tight for the first ten races and whatever. But I think the DRS is a big thing, and uh, you know, going back to what Barry said, like like. As, as being a racing driver and you're following someone, your first instinct has to be, I need to get by this guy. I, I need to get by this guy. Um, they're probably not taking as many chances as they should do in the twisty stuff because they just know they're going to blitz by him and once they hit a straight, they're just going to pass him anyway. So, um, going back to a point I made here on this, I don't know, last year or the year before, take the DRS out of the top 10. If you're in the top 10, you don't get DRS. If you're outside yeah. the top ten, you get the RS. I think I that would bring. Again. I think you bring the top ten racing closer together, and you also bring the guys outside the top ten into the top ten. Yeah, I, I, I mean F1 is showing at the moment that they're open to trying things and you know different formats and stuff, and they seem to have the mandate to do that. So I think that is a particularly good idea, and it could be worth trying because. The DRS, in my mind, is just killing us. You know, it's cre- and they turn around and go, oh, we had this amount over. I don't care. Like, it's not. I think Eddie Irvine said it years ago. He said, you go fishing, like, you know, you go fishing and you spend hours and you get one fish and you're delighted. You know, if you go to the pond and you just keep dipping the dipping the, the, the rod in and pulling another fish out, another fish out, that's not, that's not the same. You know, okay, you come home with 10 times the amount of fish, but it's not really the exercise in the first instance, you know? So. They, they, the, the, the DRS, I think, is doing damage beyond just, you know, the, the drive-bys. It's, it's what it's doing in the background is, is, is the real issue. And, but I don't know. I, I, can't, I can't see a change, and I think, because they're too, they're too 
interested in you know and shouting and roaring and you know oh great overtake maneuver no oh, it's not like that he literally just like passing a truck on the motorway like it's, <laughs> it's not an overtaking maneuver you just come up behind him you pull out you pull that's not overtaking it's a, it's it's a change of position but that's not an overtake not in my my world you know yeah it's it's um but yeah it's it's a whole a whole lot of things um but I, I don't know. Can't see a change too soon, unfortunately. You, you want two trucks that are obviously limited to the same speed, passing out each other on the yeah, on the I mean, yeah, 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 it, it, yeah, exactly. Let them, you know, or or, or let the let the DRS be way, way diluted, way diluted down. Like, you know, that's something else. That there's some mechanism in it that even it, you know, as soon as the cars that they can GPS it, as soon as the cars are alongside each other, the the, the overtaking car loses its DRS. You know, so mm. that they, you know, so it puts them in the, it puts them into play, but not ahead of them. You know, it puts them a lot, you know, a, a little bit alongside them for the braking zone, as opposed to just pull out and pass. So it should be all possible, you know, technology wise. But I think it brings the racing back to it. I, I, I do. I think it brings the racing back to it. If you dilute the DRS, or I won't say do well, because if you do well with it all together, the teams at the back are going to stay. The teams at the back. The reason I say it, just take it out of the top ten is. It does give the guys in tenth and eleventh a chance to get back into the top ten fight because they do have a little bit of a leg up. But once you get into that top ten, your leg up is gone. It's up to you from there. And I do think it would entice more more racing as such as Barry said, not just processionary stuff. It would entice more racing, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So lads, has um has Indy become um sexier or is the fact that F one is a little bit uglier making it better looking? Oh, it, I mean, Indy is going through a little bit of a, a, a purple patch at the moment, for sure. You know, it's definitely... But in, Indy racing has always been fantastic. You know, mm. it's had a few little issues through the years where they've kind of... They've dismantled themselves and actually kind of shot themselves in the foot a little bit when they parted from cart. But I remember going back to Champ Car Racing in the 90s. I mean, it's just phenomenal racing. And IndyCar is starting to come back that way now a little bit. Um it's a little bit more on the radar. It's easier to watch. It's easier to find. Um, people are starting to stumble on it. There's a couple of XF1 drivers, Grosjean, Ericsson, etc. Um, uh, Rossi, who did a little bit in F1, are in there. So um, I think people are starting to, to see it a bit and appreciate it for what it is. And, you know, like the, obviously the Indy 500 last week, which is a, you know, complete spectacle, mega race. Um, and then we had the Detroit Grand Prix just there to the yesterday the same day as the, the Barcelona Grand Prix was on and it, like it was just chalk and cheese you know and it's not it's it's not as it's nowhere near as technical I mean you watch the Detroit Grand Prix it's like they're racing on concrete streets and they're hopping and bopping around the place and it's not exactly it doesn't look like Monaco or anything close to it but geez the racing was fantastic absolutely mm-hmm. mega um but it's a one-make series so it's hard to compare it to F1 in, in that regard mm-hmm yeah, any other thoughts on it, Richie? No, no, just, just, it, it's actually, it's mega to watch. It really is. Um, one, like, I'm only starting to watch, I would have always watched the Indy 500 um, because of the spectacle it is, but I, I, I'm only recently starting to watch it race by race, like, really starting to follow it. And um, one of the cool things I thought the Indy 500, you know, when, they, when you get a caution, the old red flags are all back to pit lane. There's no tyre warmers, there's no... 100 different pit crews scattered around the car with 50 different laptops like you pull in you park up in the pit lane there's no tire warmers there's no effort and then when you get the green light again 
it's up to you as a driver to get those tyres on, get that car back into the window it needs to be. And I, just, I, I find it fascinating that it, it, it comes so much closer to what me and Barry do as a clubman wrestler. You know, we're the same type thing. You, very limited people around us, very limited budgets and stuff like that. But I just I thought it was brilliant. And another aspect to the 500, I thought, was um, recovery vehicles being on the circuit at the same time as the, as the cars are going around. Like, Jesus Christ, there was uproar if that happened in F1. Like, and I just, you know, and you literally, they come on to the main straight on the Indy 500, like, and just guys are doing 100 plus miles an hour, even though you're still under caution. And you have two fucking guys sitting at the back of, of, of two Jeeps and they're like, Pointing them into the middle of the circuit, away from the incidents. Like, and I was like, that's fucking deadly. Like, take all the political bullshit out of it. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's it's definitely, it's a lot simpler, and it's better for us. You know, I mean... Oh, much I, better, I, much better. You know, I'm one of the drivers, Um, I think it was Will Power who finished second yesterday at Detroit. He said something, and I'm kind of paraphrasing him, but he, 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 he was basically saying he felt sorry for F1 drivers. You know, he's saying because it's not it's not competitive. You know, it's it, and I think I said this before here. Like, I think I, I don't know how much weight F1 guys put behind championships because it's it's such a look of the draw situation. You know, like is is Hamilton with seven championships two and a half times better than Alonso? No, he's not like because Alonso's two. So, or, you know. Jeez, he's three and that'd be three and a bit. Actually, three and a half. My maths is failing me there. Be three and a half times better. Like he's not. He's just clearly not. But with IndyCar, everyone has in theory the same equipment. You know, it's all tweaked a little bit, the different engines and so on. And yeah, they're all the same car, and it's not as technologically advanced. But if you want to sit down and watch a motor race, that, you know, and you have a choice, the IndyCar race will ninety-nine times out of hundred be a better entertainment than the F1. Um, F1, I think, is is surviving an awful lot on its kind of soap opera element where people are following it for the sake of following all that goes on in the background and the, and the, the, we're guilty of it here too you know you're talking about non-racing stuff more than you're nearly talking about the racing stuff you know he said this and would he go there and the car is this and you know the netflix side of things um but for just sheer racing you know, a lot of things, even F3 and F2 beats it. So I, I, I just get the feeling, too, that F1 themselves have kind of, they know that, and they're kind of going, right, well, we're not going to catch people with just pure racing, so let's kind of hype up all the other stuff and make that the, the USP, and, and we'll pull people in with that. And that's a slippery slope if they, if they actually keep going down that road, because the race will become a complete byproduct. Like, there's loads of Netflix fans that, that are massive F1 fans now and they don't watch the racing like they literally watch every other bit of it and then get a look at the results and they're F1 fans which is just don't can't understand that but mm. that's that that is the case at the minute they, they won't sit down and watch the race but they'll know you know that Lando's girlfriend said this to George like <laughs> you know, that's fine that's grand but don't don't you know don't don't make them your target audience like jeez yeah, that'd be yeah. a very short, you know, it'd be a, it's a very short-sighted way of doing it. Yeah, you got to remember the primary reason why people should follow it, and that's the racing itself. Men, race, men women, if there's any people racing cars as fast as they can, you know, and doing stuff that the average bloke could never imagine being able to do, like, mm. you know, in terms of, I don't mean the actual act of getting to do it, but just, you know, you watch the IndyCar, like, I watched the IndyCar last night, and 
they're hopping and bobbing around the place and they're doing 200 mile an hour and then you're kind of and you're pulling out a steering wheel and even as a you know you know competent club level driver you're looking at it going jesus i'm not sure i could do that you stick on an f1 and you go i could probably do that you're probably wrong in both cases but it doesn't matter that's what it looks like you know yeah. it just it just looks so much more exciting mm-hmm. you know yeah no, agree wholeheartedly. And I'm actually going to finish up on the racing side of it um, in terms of the weekend uh, and just give the standings there. So Max is on 170, Perez is on 117, Alonso is on 99, Hamilton 87, George Russell uh, 65 there. And constructors-wise, well, sure, look, she's one-way traffic here, 287 Red Bull, 152 Mercedes, 134 Aston Martin, 100 Ferrari, and 40 Renault. So, yeah. One-way traffic. Now, let's take things to matters off the circuit. And what do you think of this talk with, with Hamilton Ferrari? Is it all pub talk? Or is there some bit of substance behind it, lads, do you think? No. No, <laughs> I, I, I can't see him leaving Mercedes, to be honest with you. Um, he's always spoke about leaving a legacy with Mercedes and stuff like that. Now, when I came out first, and like me and Barry spoke about this on holidays, and we were sort of saying, Jeez, every every young kid's dream is to put that red overalls on you as a racing driver, like. Um, but I think it's too late in his career. Um, the job to try to turn Ferrari around is not for someone of Hamilton's calibre or age. Um, no, I think come tomorrow, or the next day, he'll sign another maybe two-year deal at best with Mercedes, and we'll go, we'll go on as normal. I reckon. I think, Buzz. Yeah, he's an odd story. I mean. Like they don't. It's not as if if Red, if if Ferrari were exhibiting Red Bull levels of performance and operations, well then yeah, you could see the attraction. Um, despite all the you know the late the, the kind of how how married Hamilton is to Mercedes, but they're not like they're not at the moment. They're no better than Mercedes. So from a performance point of view you'd say well there's no point in moving there it's you know better the devil you know so to speak um and yeah there probably is something in inside everyone who would love to race for ferrari at, at some point but i think in, in hamilton's case it would rule out so many other things post driving career because he, he has always been a mercedes driver he's never he's never raced an f1 car that didn't have a mercedes engine ever so He's always going to be a Mercedes, and that you know that lines him up for life basically as an ambassador and you know whatever else that should he choose to go down that road. Where even one year a Ferrari would would kind of ruin that, I'd imagine. So I can't see anything happen. I think it's I think it's nothing more than a, than, than a rumor that was spread around the place. Mm. By who is the question? Mm. And look, maybe that's a bit of leverage for a few Bob Extra in their pocket with Mercedes whenever it does come out. Like you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't know. Yeah. Well. One thing I would like to pick up on with, with Ferrari in particular is Leclerc, I suppose. And I think three out of seven races so far this year, he's not scored in. Now, look, I'm not saying it's always his fault or whatever, but I feel, and maybe I'm wrong in saying this now, over the past couple of years, has he got a little bit of... Um, has he got away with a little bit in terms of criticism in comparison to science? And he's a better driver, I would say. Pound for pound, he's a better driver. But he doesn't seem to be under the microscope. No, I agree um, with much. you. I agree with you. I think... I think Leclerc is um, very, very fast uh, on one lap in general. He's very, very, very fast. And I think he's hustling the Ferrari, and that's how you see him getting it up onto you know, higher up grid positions and stuff. I think his problem is, we've seen this before, is he, he, he's, that's, he, you know, 
if the car is capable of X lap time, he will try and get X minus two or three tenths out of it. And that's where it's down, that's where he falls down. I think that's why you see him getting so annoyed with himself when he does make a mistake because he kind of probably knows he's overdriving and knows that it's only going to end up one way. So he's definitely he's probably a bit in the Gilles Villeneuve mold, you know, just won't give up, just will just will drive it faster and faster and faster, which is which is probably you know kind of there's a romanticism to that, you know, someone who does that type of thing. Um, and then it's kind of a painting him into a in, in a good life in general terms because he pulls these qualifying um, and the odd race performances out of the woodwork. Um, but yeah, to, to 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 your point, I think that is giving him a little bit of shelter from the amount of criticism he probably should be getting if he wasn't pulling those banzai laps out every so often. The question is. Which are you better? Are you better off with a Leclerc who can, on the odd day, perform miracles, or but then have the, the flip the downside to it, or a science that is just you know slow and steady is unfair. But you know what I mean? It's you know just ste- steady Eddie, just kind of you know, know. Not anything but slow. That's totally the wrong word, but if the phrase is right, you know he's he, he will get, he will get you ninety nine percent of it every day of the week, whereas every so often Leclerc will pull one out of the bag for you. Which mm. you know, which if you're a team manager, which do you take? Yeah, look, it's hard. It's hard to know, Richie. Like, science is 16 points ahead of the player at the minute. Now, I appreciate it's like two ball lads fighting over a comb. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> it's not just it's a bit of a pointless <laughs> exercise. But by the same by the same token, I do feel a little bit for for science with that. Um, it's like, do you remember? I went to see Dave McSavage recently, right? And this is taking a turn here. I I love Dave McSavage. I think. He encapsulated so much of what Ireland was about, albeit controversial, and it's mad to think that it actually wasn't that long ago since Savage Eye was on our TV screens, right? But he does this sketch in one of them, going back, and you might remember, it's a GA-related sketch, actually, where the big old lad is sitting in the in the, in the the classroom full of kids, right? And uh, Michael, have you your homework done? He puts up the hurl, and hurling. Oh, yes, Michael, he's yourself. Oh, that's grand, that's grand. And I feel that's the same with Leclerc. Oh, yes, Charles, he's yourself, he's yourself. Science could be there, he could have all his homework done. Oh, no, but Charles is the man. No, you can't see that the Charles. Like. Yeah, you know he can't. I mean? Charles scored a point in the junior final at the weekend, so he gets away with murder. Like, fuck, yeah. I just uh, look, I have, I have a soft spot for, for science anyway because of the of the old boy and stuff. But look, he's not he's not beyond criticism either, and he's had his problems. But if if it were to happen, and it's unlikely, who who gets the road? Is it obvious enough to say that science is getting the road? And how would the dynamic with Charles and Lewis work if there was to be one? Um, I don't um, think that would be a great dynamic. No, I don't think so. Um, unfortunately, I, I agree with everything you were saying. Um, Carlos is is the steady Eddie. He's like, to be fair, he's the standout driver so far this season for Ferrari. Um, Sainz yeah. is with what he's doing compared to Leclerc. Like Barry said, that he can he can put it on Paul. I don't know two or three races ago he put it on Paul when he had no right to put it on Paul. But then. Seven times out of ten, when he's going for that lap, he bins the fucking thing. So there's the opposite side of it as well. Now, also you have to remember Leclerc is a Ferrari prodigy. They brought him up through his, their academies, through their everything, and they've put him where he is. So Ferrari being Ferrari, and like we spoke about before, you know, the Ferrari themselves won't allow themselves to criticise Leclerc because he is a Ferrari prodigy. He's our driver. We've developed him. We've met him. So Charles is God. Whereas, as Barry said, if you're a, a team owner, I think I'd be taking science every day of the week, to be honest with you. Charles is the quicker driver. Outright quicker. 
just totally quicker driver, but um, Carlos is a lot more consistent, and Carlos will score you a lot more points throughout the season. I, I, especially this season, where the Ferrari is so unreliable and it's so you just don't know what car you're getting race to race. I think this season will end up with Carlos finishing ahead of Charles. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, if if it was a Hamilton, if if it was Hamilton coming into the team, I'd probably get rid of Carlos because I think. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I keep Carlos and get rid of Leclerc. If it was Hamilton coming in, it depends on who the other driver coming in is. is. Because at the moment you have, you know, if you put if you put Hamilton in there with Leclerc, they'll probably just it's like putting two bulls in the field. You know, it's not yeah. a great idea. So, yeah. So I think the um, the idea uh, of putting Hamilton and Leclerc together are probably a bad one. Hamilton and Sainz, be a good partnership because I think Sainz would, you know, he keep Hamilton going. But he'd um, he he'd be you know he wouldn't he 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 wouldn't be trying to beat him as much as Leclerc would be trying to beat him that way. So wouldn't be a bad idea. But I don't think it'll happen one way or the other. <laughs> Lads, any other thoughts on anything F1 related? No, Just I'm all get, out. Get more interesting a lot quicker. Yeah, <laughs> please, Mister <laughs> Damicelli. <laughs> yeah. Let's start that in Ballisway to uh, for staff in there to fuck just to make it interesting. I was thinking, actually, of a friend that does the Champ.E horse racing podcast, and obviously they have handicaps in, in horse racing when it comes to weights and different things to try and even out the field. Like, and I don't know, we want to start looking at looking at something like that. But uh, a couple of weeks of a gap, Canada thinks up next. So, um, yeah, look, we'll, we'll leave it at that, lads. We, we, we live in hope um, that a bit more excitement comes back into this whole thing. Uh, but nevertheless, we'll soldier on. We'll have the crack, and uh, that's all you can do. Barry, Richie, thanks a million. See you later, guys. Please, guys. PFT Travel as well, of course. Thanks to PFT Travel. Talk to you soon.